Amen. He is risen. Amen. So just so you, you know, if you don't know this Christian thing that we do, you know, we say he is risen and then like, you know, happy nerds, we say he is risen indeed because, man, that's a good thing. So that's the thing that we want to participate in, right? Um, so the question we want to ask every Easter is why the resurrection? Like why? Why, why, why the resurrection? Why did God choose to do that specific thing, right? God had very specific aims. He had very specific motive for the resurrection. So when we gather for Easter, we want to ask the question, why the resurrection? It's the right question, right? God is like a parent, right? When, when our kids come to us and they're always saying, well, why, Dad? Well, why, Dad? Right? Like, I get annoyed, right, at times. Uh, no offense, children. Um, but, but really, that's what we want. We want our children asking, why are the things that are the way that they are? Why do we do the things that we do? Uh, God's children, uh, God loves it when his children come to him with the why questions. So this morning we are asking why the resurrection, and here's the cool thing. The answer for why the resurrection we find in Isaiah chapter 61, which if you've been following along in the series, is our next passage. So, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Isaiah 61, and, and the answer to the question for why the resurrection is Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. So part of how we know that Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 is the answer to that question is Jesus actually in Luke chapter 4 responds. He, he goes and he's, he goes, he's before this crowd and he grabs this scroll of Isaiah and he, he reads a section of the scroll of Isaiah. Jesus does. And it's Isaiah 61. And he basically is giving what he's come to do. And so really, the, the finality of that and, the, and, the, and the, the exclamation point of, the, of, of what Jesus is saying he is here to do is the resurrection. It's actually what brings about what he's talking about. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray briefly for us before we dive in. Then I'll set the stage of kind of how we got here in Isaiah. So if you're, if you're like, hey, I haven't been here every week, that's fine. I'll get us to this section, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into our passage. All right, let me, let me pray briefly for us. Lord... Lord, we pray and ask for you to work on us this morning. Lord, we come often with, with um, dull ears, uh, distracted hearts, and we've come this morning um, on Easter. And Lord, we ask that you would show us who you are, change how we think about your work, and, and, and awaken us to the power of the resurrection of what you want to do uh, right now through the resurrection of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Isaiah 61. So to catch us up, right, you got the prophet Isaiah. This is 740 BC. So 740 years before Jesus comes, you have this prophet in Israel, right? He's in the southern kingdom of Judah. He's preaching to God's people, and he's basically doing two things continually throughout the book. He's correcting them, and he's encouraging them, right? He's, he's basically calling them out and saying things like this. Don't just come to Easter service because it's Easter service, right? Don't just come for fun things, but actually desire me. Desire God, he says, right? Because Israel had this problem, which we all have, which is we love the Easter eggs, right? We, we love the Reese's peanut butter eggs. Like, why would you not love the Reese's peanut butter eggs, right? If you don't, if you have peanut allergy, we pray for you. 
right? Like, would he deliver you from that such affliction? Because they're, they're glorious, right? And all the other Easter candies, the Starburst jelly beans, also glorious. If you're not a jelly bean person, try Starburst jelly beans. I promise I'm not getting a kickback from Starburst for this. But they're really good, right? They're very good. So, like, it's fun, right? There's these, these fun trappings of these different things we celebrate and participate in, right? I think about Christmas, I think about Easter. But what's happening in Isaiah's time, which is happening in our time, is that often we want the trappings. We want to be able to do the practices and feel better about ourselves while missing the person of God. Missing who God actually is and what God actually is doing. And so, so he's lovingly and pretty directly at times saying, look, just, just stop coming. Stop singing the songs. Like, worship me, delight in me, want me, God says to his people. So he's saying that, but then he also does this other thing and then says, but those who actually want me, those who want relationship with me, those who actually love and desire relationship with the living God, he is continually telling them about the promises in store for God's people. Really, and specifically the kind of the portrait of that is Zion, which is, you know, from the Matrix, right? If you have seen it. No, a few 90s, you know, people, you know, they're like, some of you probably haven't even seen the Matrix. I know it's, a, it's an old reference. But my point is Zion is the city of God that God is building for his people, that God is establishing eternally and filling with these wonders, right, about this beautiful city and this beautiful future that he has for his people. So he's doing these two things constantly, right? So he is preaching about that at chapter 39. At chapter 39, things change where the, the people of God go into captivity, and then from chapter 40 to 66, and to remind you, if in case you got lost in this intro, we are in 61. So we're almost done with the book. We've only got a few more chapters, but in this point in the book, what Isaiah is doing is he is telling God's people about what awaits, about what's coming, about what God is going to do, and this is the section that Jesus reads in, in Luke chapter 4, and is our section this morning when we answer the question, why the resurrection? So, that's the intro. The nice thing is we're only doing three verses this morning, right? Sometimes we cover a lot of text. Not today. We're just going to do three verses. So, let, let me read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Again, Jesus quotes this in Luke 4. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So again, we're asking why the resurrection, right? And, and we read this section of scripture. Why this section of scripture? Jesus has told us this is why he came. And when he read the scroll, he said, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. And it's like, wait a second. 
If you're paying attention to the ministry of Jesus, it's right to ask, wait, what do you mean that this has been fulfilled? And really what he's saying is is that there's a day of the Lord, right? The day of the Lord's favor that has been inaugurated, right? This year that has come has been inaugurated, has been begun in the work of Jesus. So what we're going to see this morning is four actions of the risen one. The four actions of the risen one. The first action that we see the risen one, that we see Jesus, right, both pre-resurrection and post-resurrection doing, is announcing. The first action is announcing. So this is one of the things we see with the work of God throughout all of history is there's always a verbal component, right? The work of God is never ambiguous because God does things like reveal himself. So look, you have this, look, we all have these, these things that we're about. Our, the name of our church is Valley Bible Church. Because God is a speaking God. God is a specific God. God announces things. Look at verse 1. So we see that the Spirit of the Lord, God has chosen Jesus. God has anointed him. He has prepared him and, and, and placed him as the specific sacrifice. He's the chosen one. He is the Messiah, right? And, he had, and with the Messiah, look what the Messiah does. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Then what? Proclaim liberty to the captives. Look at verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's the thing. And part of this, we, we, should, we, should, we should be struck by the, the oddness of it a little bit, right? So here's Jesus, right? He's, he's God in the flesh. He's born of a virgin. God sends him into the world to be the perfect person to live the perfect life, to pay the perfect penalty, right? I mean, he is, he is God in the flesh. He can literally raise the dead. We see him actually raising people from the dead, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead, right? So if you said to me, hey, we want you to come and you got two options. I can either like just raise people and heal people or I can preach. People are like, look, man, we love the preaching. That's great. But let's, we'll take resurrection. That's, that's great. We'll just do that, Right? Like, he's God in the flesh. He can do whatever he wants. And yet, most of what Jesus does, we look at the ministry of Jesus, he is preaching. I mean, he does heal people, right? The blind are healed, right? The dead are raised. But if we want to do kind of like numerical research upon what is done most in his ministry, it's mostly preaching, which uh, part of you should go, that's, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, he's just proclaiming. Why? Here's why. Proclamation for us brings clarity to what God is doing. God is not ambiguous. This is why when we have marriage ceremonies, we don't just get up there and like get everyone up there and they just kind of hug. Pastor goes, all right, come forward, please. Hug it out. Okay, you're good. Run off now, you're married. We don't do that, right? That's, we, we, we do something very specific. We do vows, right, where people come up there and they, they proclaim very specifically their allegiance, their commitment, what they will and will not do, what they're committing to. And here's the beauty of our God. He is not ambiguous toward us. We're not just supposed to look at the sun and go, you know, the sun is warm. I think warmth might mean hugs. Hmm, yeah, that's what it means, yeah. No, we don't get to do that. God fills in the blanks for us. He makes it non-ambiguous. He makes it very specific. 
The work of the anointed one, the work of Jesus, he makes explicit both in predictive prophecy saying this is what he will do when he comes 740 years from now specific. And when Jesus comes the whole time, he is proclaiming and teaching and filling in the ambiguity with the specificity of this is what I'm about in case you didn't know. Like even his death and resurrection. Part of it's kind of comical when his, 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 uh, his followers are like, wait, what's happening? Why are you dying? Jesus could rightfully have turned to them and be like, hey, fellas, you know, I told you this like several times, very specifically, that I will die and raise again. Right? There's no ambiguity in the ministry of Jesus. This is part of the irony of people who want to twist around what Jesus is doing to say, have you read what Jesus said he was about? Jesus told us. So the first action of the risen one is proclamation. He's speaking. We follow a speaking God who reveals himself very specifically, who defines what it looks like to be in relationship with him very specifically. We cannot call ourselves Christians by the name of Jesus unless we are following what the risen one has proclaimed. It means to follow him. This is a grace to us. He's not saying, hey guys, good luck. Figure it out. He's saying, no, 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 no. You, you actually won't figure it out. Here's specifically what I'm doing. Follow me. Believe upon me. The only way to the Father is through me. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He lays it out for us with specificity. The first work that we see of this risen one, of the one who before he rose and after he rose, he is always declaring specifically, he's proclaiming. So, action one of resurrection life is proclamation, is words, and we get clarity of who God is. We have clarity of who Jesus is. He is proclaiming to us his promises. So that's the first thing. But then all of these kind of cascade off of each other. So the first work we see is announcing. Second work that we see is comforting. Look at verse 1. So he said to bring good news to who? The poor. Note the audience of all these verbs, right? The receiver of all of these verbs. To bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open up for the prison to those who are bound, right? To comfort, look at verse two, all who mourn, right? There, this, picture, all, this picture of there is this hurting audience that needs comfort. In some sense, if we don't come to the cross of Christ with a sense of need, the gospel is not the gospel to us. The good news is not the good news if we've already found our good news somewhere else. We come to Christ because we are saying, I need from you, God. I need comfort. I am brokenhearted. I am poor in spirit. I need from you. So what he comes offering is announcement and comfort. He's comforting us. But I got to tell you, it's really hard to comfort someone who doesn't think they need comfort. I, I will say it's actually impossible. The person that you go to kind of put your arm around and go, hey, let, let's, okay, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, you don't need to comfort me. I'm good. He's come to comfort the brokenhearted. He has come to comfort and hear, hear the work of the cross and resurrection and all of this. 
that he is coming to a people who are poor. He is coming to a people who are brokenhearted. He is coming to a people who realize they're captives. He's coming to a people who realize they are bound. He is coming to a people who know that they are people in need. They need the comfort that comes by the resurrection of Jesus. These are people who are wondering, man, what will come? What's going to happen to my life? Is this all there is? What will be? What is God doing? God, help. I need rescue. My sin overwhelms me. My, my life is not what I thought it would be. Lord, help me. And so he comes proclaiming and comforting. And, and, and this will get more specific. The work of comfort will get more specific in our last two actions. So he's comforting, but it's a little ambiguous. Okay, how does that comfort work? Well, let's see. Look at, look at what we, we read a little bit of it already, right? The next action is he is releasing, right? He's, he's bringing good news to the poor. He's, he's coming to comfort the brokenhearted. But then look what he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So he is proclaiming that those who are held captive have now been set free. Again, Let's remember who, we're, who, who he's writing to here, right? He's writing to an audience. This is Isaiah 740 BC. He's writing to an audience who is supposed to be coming out of what? Captivity. There are people who've been bound. They've been oppressed. And so they are captive people and they are needing and wanting and understanding their need to be set free. So here's my question for us this morning is what do you need to be set free from? We are all bound to something. We're all, we're all slaves to certain things that we have attached ourselves to or that have attached ourselves to us. And so we have these attachments that need to be broken. And Scripture talks about several of them. The most obvious one that we see in the New Testament is that we are slaves to sin in Romans 6. We are, we are, we are, we are bound to these uh, attachments that we actually willfully want to make. There's these activities that we participate in that need to be, uh, right, broken. These connections need to be broken. And so we see that we need to be released, that we are people who are captive to sin, but we, are, I think, are captive to so much more, right? We are bound even in time, right? You, you, are, you are stuck. And you are stuck in this place where you live and you cannot change the circumstances around you. You are a person who have a lot that you are, you are stuck in the middle of. And how are you ever to get outside of that? Well, the resurrection is your answer. Is, is this moment all that is? Is all that happens around you right now the only truth? Is that, that you have some difficulty, maybe bills are tight? Is, is this all that exists or is there more happening around you than you even are willing or able to recognize? And what the resurrection is for us is this eternal, uh, eternally important like crashing point in all of human history to say, wait, 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 hold, wait, hold on a second. Just can we pause for a minute? You, so just, just to be clear, like, so you, you Christian people, you're like gathering together and you're actually like willfully and openly acknowledging that some dude was killed and resurrected from the dead. That's what you're saying. 
And there are people who would look at this assembly and say, y'all are crazy. Right? People have been mocked and Christianity has been criticized. And they're saying, you believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus? You believe he was crucified and was resurrected. And here is what the church has said for 2,000 years. Absolutely, categorically, amen, that is who we are. We believe in a crucified and risen Messiah, period, end of statement, full stop, yes. We are a resurrection people, hear me. If people are listening and people hear this rightly, one, they will be offended. They will go, wait, that, 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 that just sounds too like, oh, I don't know, supernatural, above the natural. And I would say to them, amen. And the second thing that that person, if they realize, so you're saying that a man died and rose and now actually eternally lives, never to die again. That's happened. The second response should be to that is, well, 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 gosh, that, that would change everything. And that's where we say amen. We gather here to tell you. We gather here to participate and to acknowledge and to recognize the event of all the ages has happened in the resurrection of Jesus that changes all other moments and now orients our expectation of what is to come. So we have another event that's going to come and change all of eternity, but the event so far has already happened and that event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we celebrate that we have been set free from small thinking. We've been set free from being bound even in this moment to know that eternity has had its gates opened wide by the resurrected Jesus. And he is opening that door to an eternal future, to an eternity with God. And he's saying, come on, it is through me. Believe upon me and all this is ahead for you. He has released us. That creates a freedom, church. That creates a freedom of living to say, look, I'm not bound to what happens this afternoon. I can go on the Easter egg hunt and get the terrible candy, and God is still alive. Right? Some of you younger crowd, you need to hear that. Right? He's announcing comforting. That comfort starts to take shape when we hear about the releasing of the captives. We are not bound to sin. We're not slaves to that anymore. We have a new way that we can live, Romans tells us. We're not bound to, to this moment. We're not bound to ourselves. We're not bound to our, our, our own emotion. We're not, we're not bound to having to function as the world says. We're, we are now invited and been free to become this new people of God where God sets us free unto himself, he tells us. That's freedom. For freedom he has set us free so that we could be what he has intended us to be. So we have announcement, we have comforting, we have releasing, but it doesn't stop there. It actually gets more glorious, literally. The fourth action of the resurrection is exchanging. Look at verse 3. i got to be honest. Let me just pause before we read this. As an arrogant young man, which I probably still fall in the category of, right? I will read passages like what we're about to read, and you know what happened in the soul of an arrogant young heart is an eye roll. Okay? I just want to say that because of what we're about to read. Listen to this. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. 
an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. Hear me, those word pictures that are there, as a young guy, I would read that. I'm like, oh, I mean, okay. Like he, he's given out the tiaras. Like I, I'll pass, I'm good. And so what happens is we read a section of scripture like that and we miss the eternal weight of what is happening that we, we miss the, you know, I keep, I keep using this language and I, and I hope it's not kind of making you too like reactionary, but this language of guilt and shame, this idea of honor. I realize how little we think about that in our culture and yet how much we are bound in it. And yet it's all, it's replete. It's all throughout Isaiah. This language of honor and shame that, that God in the redemption of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, he's not doing some kind of quiet, secretive, sneaky redemption. He, he, is, he is making a spectacle of the powers that are. He is, he is putting Rome to shame to say, you thought you won when you crucified the king, didn't you? You thought you got him. You, you thought that... That, that you were able to get your will accomplished in the face of all that God was doing. You thought you won, and yet what we look back on is we hear the herald of the ages that says, death has been done away with. The king has put his death in his grave, right? That he has gone, he has taken care of death. He has conquered it and said, uh, yeah, I went ahead and went into the grave, and death, where is your sting? I took it. And so what we see is we see this picture where the honor of God, God's honor and his glory and his beauty, he doesn't, he doesn't hide that. He actually gives it to his children. And this is important, important that we hear this because the world does not see the honor of God. Not right now, not the way that he is fully doing it. And yet he's giving it to us in Christ. They see Jesus and they don't see glory. They see Jesus and they go, oh, what, what in the world? And yet God looks down and he sees Jesus and he says, you, my beloved son, right? This public event, the baptism of Jesus, this public event where, where the heavens open and all those people around and they see this, this, right? The spirit descending like a dove, all this language. Why? He is doing this public action of making who his son is known to the world. So hear me. So here's what's happening. He is exchanging our shame, our nakedness, the, the Adam and Eve picture that we get in the garden where they, they sin against God, right? If you, I don't know if you remember the story. They sin against God, right? They, they eat the fruit. You know what they do? They run off. And do you know what they do? They, they, they take fig leaves and they make underwear, right? We've seen the, uh, the little pictures, right? Because what? They feel ashamed, right? If you read the text, it's all in there. This is Genesis. They feel ashamed of their nakedness, their God-created you know, the forms they are ashamed of. So they covered themselves because they realize that they are now in sin. Something's wrong now. So what happened in the garden is this eternal fleeing and this eternal hiding where you and I, we cover ourselves over and we try and make ourselves fitting and appropriate and we have our little fig leaves on and then from behind our little, when God comes, God's like, Adam, where are you? I'm over here. I'm over here, God. He like kind of pops out and is like, hey, I heard you, Lord. Yeah, I'm a little freaked out. I'm naked. <laughs> right? And so this hiding that's happening, 
And so there's this dodging that's going on. And so what happens is, is, is God is coming in Christ and he is saying, I have new robes for you. I have a new picture. I, I want to hold you up. And, and there's no more hiding anymore in the gospel of Christ because, because the, the things that you are bound to, I've set you free from those. So, so sin is, 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 is behind. And, and so you're not bound to that anymore. I know you, there's still struggles there, but you're not captive anymore to sin. So that, that's behind. And so now I'm covering you with my righteousness. So now, even though you're struggling, you are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide from God and you don't have to hide from your neighbors. And so he's doing this glorious action of exchanging. This is what, look, look at the language. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So instead of your mourning, which is what ashes is, instead of the, 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 the dirtiness that, that kind of covers you because you are, you, you, what they would do is they would take ashes and they kind of would smear themselves. The, the language is sackcloth and ashes. And, and part of why they wear the sackcloth is, is it holds the ashes really well that you'd, you'd put all over your body and then someone would see you and they go, oh, oh, you're, you're in mourning. You're you just kind of stay over there. You're, you're, not, you're not doing so good. So you kind of stay over there. I'll dodge you. You dodge me. We're good. And what Jesus says is, hey, come here. Let me take your sackcloth and ashes and let me give you a beautiful headdress. So that way when you walk in this world, you walk as a beloved son and a beloved daughter because the resurrection secures for us the, the, the public honor of God that he is bestowing on us his belovedness by the work of Christ. Christ has secured that eternally, finally, totally. The words from the cross as Jesus dies is what? It is finished. And so now we walk Right now, hear me church, this isn't something that we're going to look forward to. We walk right now as those that God comes and through Christ bestows his honor upon us so that you can behold others and walk as one beheld by others and you, you can recognize and be shaped in your identity as the beloved of God. You don't have to run around and dodge anymore. We go, I have been accepted in Christ Jesus fully by my heavenly father and I can fully be me. And I'm going to stumble in that, and I'm going to annoy you in that. I'm going to annoy myself in that. But I am walking in that and growing in that, and God is teaching me what it looks like to publicly live as a son of the living God because of the resurrection. Jesus secures this for us, this exchange, a garment of praise for a faint spirit, an oil of gladness, oaks of righteousness. These are all public visual pictures. God's not doing that bashfully. He's doing it boldly. And he is giving us through Christ. So, how does all this come together? Here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the picture. It's John the Baptist. Here's why I say that. Remember, we started by you know, reading this out. He, he's, he's proclaiming liberty to the captives. So there's a little story in Luke 7 where John the Baptist is in jail. He's been imprisoned because Creepy John, as he, you know, the, 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 the series The Chosen, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It's stories about Jesus. It's called The Chosen. It's free online. Great. Best series I've ever seen about the portrayal of life of Jesus. Season two premieres tonight, by the way, which we're going to watch. But it's great because the, the, the Israelites in that series, they refer to John the Baptist as Creepy John. Which is, which is funny. I mean, we should laugh because that's how John's perceived. John is doing the work of God. He's in camel hair, right? He's eating honey and wild, or wild honey and locusts or wild locusts and honey. Anyway, something's wild in there. And he's, he's doing that. And they're like, 
who is this guy? Like he's out of the banks preaching and he's kind of a you know, wacko. So they imprison him because they don't like what he's teaching. And so while he's in prison, Jesus is doing his ministry and Jesus gets a message from the followers of John. And it simply says, are you the one that we have waited for? And, and part of what Jesus sends back to him is a snippet from Isaiah 61. Where he says, you tell him the blind receive back their sight, the dead are raised. Basically, his answer is, you better believe it, that he's come. But here's the irony. You got John who's in bars. He is in chains, in prison. And we have Isaiah 61 that literally says he will proclaim liberty to the captives. So there's a tension there, right? If I'm John, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, hey. I read Isaiah 61 too. Remember that part? Remember? Liberty to the captives? That's me. I'm captive. I mean, like... Like, not metaphorically, not spiritually. Like, like, I mean, these are bars. Help me out here. Right? John doesn't get let out of prison. What do we do with that? Better question. What does John do with that? Well, if you know the story, John is kept in bars. He loses his head. John is our model. See, John, he gets it. He hears the message. He's waited and he's beheld the Lamb of God. He has believed upon Christ. He sees the beauty of the gospel. He doesn't bend his entire faith, his entire hope on getting out of the bars that he presently he's in. He bends his entire reality on the person of Jesus and he beholds the Lamb of God, believes upon him and loses his head, literally. And yet John heard the announcement, was comforted. He was released from bondage. He was given the exchange. He was shamed before men and he had the honor of God. He was delighted in by the Messiah. Here is my warning and encouragement to us in the theme of Isaiah through the life of John. Do not bend your entire faith upon how God goes about doing what God is doing. You bend your entire faith and you attach yourselves to the person of the risen Jesus and you say, I'm all in on all that he wants, all that he does in any way he wants to do it. Too often we say, I'll take God as long as it looks like this. I'll take Jesus if I can get these kind of few things. But if it, if it means difficulty or I don't get that job or that relationship that I want, I don't know if I'm in for that. And the kingdom is full of poor, broken-hearted people who cry out and say, I want Jesus at any cost. Give him to me. I want comfort. I want release. But I want it in the ways that he dictates. This is the the beautiful invitation of the gospel is come all who are weary. But think about the teaching of Christ, his preaching ministry, how many came and did not like what they heard and they went away sad. 
right? Rich young ruler, we have that exact quote. We have many crowds who came and heard his preaching, but then they, you know, when it kind of started to get a little dicey, they kind of dipped out. And what, what Isaiah is saying to his people is, let us anticipate what Jesus, what the anointed is going to bring, but let us, let him dictate how it works, how it goes. So here's my encouragement, church. Let's be a people who go this week and we walk in this world as those who've been given crowns, who've been given headdresses uh, of beauty for ashes. And we walk around and there will be people and go, man, what, why? Why, are, why do you have joy? Like you're a disaster. Right? I mean, th- this is my life. You? Psh, why, do, why do you have joy? Your life's a mess at times. And then we say, can I tell you about the risen Christ? Here's why I have joy, because of His faithfulness, His righteousness, His freedom. Church, there's a way to live that, to walk in that, a lightness where we know He is the bearer of the burden and we are the receiver of the action. Note, you aren't the one who brings these about. He's the proclaimer. He's the comforter. He's the releaser. He is the exchanger. He does it. May we walk in lightness. May we eat today and celebrate the feast because Jesus is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you're a God who proclaims, who states who you are and clearly offers yourselves, writes your word down on paper for us to read. You comfort us. You release us. You you exchange our shame for your honor. You are too good to us. Lord, would you help us walk with the resolve of John the baptizer? Would we be those who are out in the wilderness proclaiming that the Lamb of God has come? And and, and would would we care more about what you think than what others think? Lord, can we walk in that kind of freedom? As those who behold the Lamb, some of us who will lose our heads and we will delight that this eternity has come, that resurrection changed the game. And now we live eternally. Can we live that way? Lord, help us to walk that out. Can we walk that out today? Would your life and your resurrection be on our lips as we participate in meals, as we participate in Easter egg hunts, would, would your name, Jesus, be, be quick at the ready? Lord, we love you. You've been too kind to us. And the, the inim- unimaginable wonder of the resurrection is, is, is almost too wonderful for us. And yet, that is what you have given us. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.